0: Because we recently got a lot of new students with the relaunch of the authority site system, and we are starting a new batch of sites for ourselves in 2019, Mark and I took some time to reflect on the most common mistakes we and other people make when starting authority and affiliate websites. In today's episode, we will go through eight of these common mistakes and how you can avoid them for higher success rates and better resource usage. Let's get started.
1: Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael
0: and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast, episode 134. I am just back from Vienna, where I just went to the networking event of LRTCon. I'll be honest, I was a little lazy to go to the talks, but I got to hang out with a lot of people that showed up there. To be honest, a lot of black hat people, but it was kind of interesting to talk to them and hear their perspective on uh, SEO and so on, even though like, we pretty much disagree on everything. I think that's something that I want to say to the audience. It's like, even though you believe in white hat values, and we do, we don't buy links, we don't do any of that. You live in a market where these people exist and compete with you and understanding what they do and how they do things will still help you do better even though you don't do what they do for that reason it was quite interesting maybe i'll do some debrief etc on uh, a lot of like conference slash live events i've done recently because i've done quite a bit but yeah just saying that i'm back to budapest now and i am with mark how are you doing mark
1: yeah pretty good can't complain i can complain if i'm honest with you because we've had some serious technical issues trying to get this podcast actually recorded yeah it's been a bit a tough one but Going back to what we said about setting the goal of doing 50 episodes this year, I think having that in my head and like, oh, we have to actually do it has forced us to to do this. So we're recording this on Monday morning and most likely it's going to be going out in about five hours time. So, yeah, fingers crossed
0: this works. And I'm holding my microphone in my hand right now because I have to live in an Airbnb temporarily, which is a really annoying. Anyway. All of that to say we're trying to stick tick to the goal to release a bunch of podcasts, et etc. And today's topic is going to be mostly common mistakes that uh, that we see people doing. and the reason I wanted to bring that up now is because we've had a lot of new members in the Atari site system that you know start new sites. We are starting new sites ourselves right now. we sold one of our big sites. And using some of the money of the cell to start a new batch of sites, etc. So there's really a lot of like, it's time to like look back and, and kind of like learn from all that stuff. And at the same time, look at all the people that are following the model and maybe mistakes they're making. So this episode is going to be a bit of a mashup of all of that and things that we think you should avoid, what you should do instead and or how to fix these things. And I think the first one is going to be quite typical for us because we have been doing a lot of it lately. And do you want to take the first point?
1: Sure. Yeah. So it's spending too little time on doing niche and keyword research. I think the reason for this is that it's not such a tangible thing. When you say to yourself or to other people, especially, hey, I'm going to build a new site. I'm going to start a new site. And then every time you see that person, they're saying, oh, how's the new site going? How's the new site going? If you have nothing physical, nothing tangible to show them, a URL, a site, content, that kind of thing, then it feels like you're not making any progress. But what that kind of masks is the importance of of actually doing the niche and keyword research. It's probably the most important part in the entire process because if you do it wrong and then you build your site on top of it, you build a bunch of content on top of it, you build a bunch of links on top of it, all of that extra effort is essentially wasted if you haven't done this right. And we've sort of been guilty of this at, at, at times before. Certainly back in the day, we, we spent you know, a fraction of the time doing, doing research as we do now. However, we, and we actually made a ton of mistakes and some of those sites never took off. And you know we spent a bunch of money and kind of wasted half of it. Even with sites like Health Ambition, uh, you know which did work you know reasonably well for for a period of time at least the underlying kind of niche and keyword research it wasn't great the positioning wasn't great we didn't really think through the the niche it that wasn't part. great as anything done, right?
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> we were still learning all this stuff you know back in 2013 so it's, it's not a little bit different i guess but yeah i mean just being in a hurry to do the work on the visible tangible stuff is a kind of trap because it's well worth spending a lot longer you know months even if you have to doing your niche and keyword research discounting stuff we had a situation a couple weeks ago where we'd spent quite a bit of time on on an idea and it looked good and then we got to the point where we're actually looking at affiliate programs and monetization And then it just started to look actually not so good. Should we give the niche? Sure, we can. Yeah. So it was the DNA testing, like 23andMe, you know, this kind of stuff. There are a few affiliate sites and stuff in there. But essentially, they don't make that much money because the affiliate programs are not that good. We reached out to
0: them. pay you 10 bucks per sale, yeah. It wasn't that great.
1: Yeah, and the space just isn't that big at the moment. It could be something that grows and develops in a, a few years' time. I definitely think the trajectory is upwards. But at the moment it's not that great. I
0: think it's still an interesting niche for someone that wants to make like 5k a month, 6k a month, you know? Yeah,
1: I mean, our our requirements were five figures a month type thing. So, and we didn't really feel there was a a reasonable ceiling to get there. We only want
0: to build sites that make me 5 figures at least for per the, month. So.
1: You know, we didn't feel it was worth it for the effort that we'd have to take. So that's why we, we, we sort of discounted it. Going further back though, I remember when we used to buy themes on Invato, the marketplace, the theme Forest, I think it was called. And basically, we'd have an idea for a site, and we'd for whatever reason, like having the theme and to provide some kind of structure for what it would look like was the most important thing at the start for us. I mean, that's a terrible idea, but it was. That's how we operated. Our very first site we built together was a, an SEO site for our old, old agency before we had like proper branding. It's
0: called th- SEO.com, yeah. <laughs>
1: Getting that going was all about, okay, which, well, which theme are we going to choose? And it was like a real big debate. It was a real important thing because we felt like once we, we had that in place, then that was the start of the site and we were making progress. But at the end of the day, it's just not that important anymore and it kind of takes something away from the the research phase which is okay it's a bit can be a bit more boring it's this whole concept of like creating something from nothing can be a bit intimidating you know using all these tools you're trying to make decisions on things you don't fully understand if this is your first site so i get it it's intimidating and it's kind of you want to just get past that and start building the site but if you do that if you don't do your research properly and if you're not willing to kind of go back to the drawing board several times, then it's quite likely that you will pick the wrong niche or structure your site incorrectly or or, or some of the above.
0: Yeah. I see a lot of newbies do that. They just like, they do niche research, but they end up just researching one well and doing the site in that niche anyway. So that's kind of useless in a sense that if you want to compare niches, you need to look at several. So you can see which one's better, which one's worse, and if you, if you just have one, you just have no point of reference, especially if you're a newbie. In our case, like I know a lot of niches now, and it's quite easy for me to benchmark a niche just researching that one niche now. But you know that's because of time and experience. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the case. So yeah, I mean, like I would say, research in three to five niches and or spending time doing keyword research properly. Like basically, our premises before you buy the domain name, before you even search for the domain name, you have to list up every page you're going to have on what we call the V1 of the website, the first acceptable version of your website, which in our case, it's around, uh, we, we usually budget around 100 pages per new site. For the auto site system, we recommend people start with 50. It's usually enough, but we have done that for a while. So, same thing, we build bigger sites. So, it's usually like 100 to 130 pages each for a new site. We don't like, we're in, the phase, we're in that phase for several sites now where we're building that list of pages we're going to build on what we call our V1. And we have no domain name. We have no hosting. We have no nothing. We literally just have two spreadsheets and a mind map for each site, which just is is not a lot. But this is going to be so comfortable when we actually start building the site and we know exactly what we're building and we have the the plan for it. Having renovated an apartment, I know a lot about that now. (laughs) Or almost renovated an apartment. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, and there's kind of the uh, opposite issue. So I would say, like the first issue, which is like the under planning issue, I would say, is more of is more of like a newbie slash super excited people. And by the way, to add on that, I think that also on the niche level, a lot of people take very very broad niches when they are going too fast. They like to our staff when they are researching niches for our sites. I actually tell them that if you go in the street and you can you know, explain your niche to absolutely anyone in the street and they understand it, it's, not, it's too broad. And you need to narrow down a little bit. It's like you need a subsection of the population to understand the niche. But if everyone knows about it, it's not a niche that we personally go after. We prefer picking stuff that's more specific these days. And I would recommend it the same. So that is the people that underplan, essentially. The people that overplan are usually like really, really smart people that have studied a lot, that do a job that is highly intellectual, etc., And they kind of do the opposite, where as soon as they find a competitor that has done the angle that they want to do, they just walk away from it really quickly. And they think that it's kind of like startups, you know, they think that if if the concept has been done one, then it's over and you need to find something else. Otherwise, it's not going to work. That's not true. Like competition is, yeah, if we have no competitor is actually a negative point in our niche research. It means that a very, very
1: bad thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's like we want competitors. We want people that have done it and have made money from it. And that tells us that we can just come in and have better execution and or similar execution and just take a market share. And on a page level, same thing. Like these really smart people, they tend to discard keywords as soon as they see a little bit of competition. They're looking for an absolutely perfect keyword every time, which is not the case. Like if you're in, in a System or you've seen us talk about keyword research. We have a cool, re- a cool video on the Ahrefs YouTube channel, etc. Like you know, we talk about all these things we look for in keywords, but. The truth is you rarely get all these things at once in your keywords that you pick for your site and you have to make compromise you're like oh it's going to be a bit more difficult than expected but this has high potential or you know this has lower volume than expected but it seems really easy that kind of stuff and so these kind of like other planners they tend to look for the absolute perfect keyword every time and they end up never having this list of pages that they're supposed to build for their site at the beginning and that also uh, so really, there's there's the two ends. There's the people that overplan, which and essentially they just end up doing analysis forever. And there's the people that underplan that just look at one niche, and on a keyword level, just like kind of like don't even look at who is ranking. Tend to go for like e-commerce keywords or like information keywords, trying to sell stuff, that kind of stuff, and just just look at one niche and do nothing else. So that you kind of need to spend good time in this research, but not overdo it and not discard everything. So that is one of the mistakes we see. Obviously, it's hard to give you a number because it really depends on your level, et cetera. Maybe you can help people how to solve it because I literally put how to solve it. I leave this to you, Mark, with a smiley emoji. So Mark, go for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, so a couple of things. Well, first of all, you could buy the authority site system, which we have kind of outlined a... As close to a step-by-step process as you can realistically get in niche research, I think that fundamentally, this is something which doesn't have a do this, then do this, then do this type format because it's it's more of an organic kind of feely exercise in many cases. You'll sort of explore different threads when you uncover different sites and check their competitors and then go down that vein and then realize it's not working and then you have to back up and go down another one. So it's not like building a site where we can say, sign up for this hosting, put this on your website, do this, use one of these services to find a logo. That's very A to B to C to D. Niche research is is not like that at all. I think Gail did a very good job in the the new authority site system in, in structuring that as, as best as possible. But at the end of the day, it's not possible to do it fully paint by numbers. Although, you know, you came fairly close to that, I would say. So the long and short of it is there are no shortcuts here. You either do it properly or you don't. If you're struggling with it, find someone else who's also going through it at the same time. Share your learnings. Maybe find a mentor who has a successful site that you can kind of ask questions or, or get feedback from on your niche research there. I think for us, like if you're working on your own, I imagine it would be a lot more a lot more challenging for us. We have a team, we have each other to kind of like bounce ideas off of and kind of bring ourselves back to reality if we go off on a, a tangent with our ideas. So, you know, just involve other people if you, if you are struggling. But there is no shortcut other than, say, don't take shortcuts or don't spend too much time doing it. I know that doesn't really answer the question.
0: Because <laughs> what is too much time? Like, what, what is too, what's too little? What is too, I mean, too little is looking at only one issue and starting a website. Too much is discarding everything after you've looked at like six, seven dishes and still feeling like you can't find anything. And too broad is you can walk in the street and explain your niche to anyone and anyone will understand. I would say this is the most actionable parts that you can take away from this one.
1: Yeah, there's also something to be said about like really understanding the sites you're looking at. You know, I've seen people who just go and will like copy a competitor's sitemap and then say oh yeah that's i've researched this one but you you have to kind of like really bottom and bottom something out before you will count it or discount it so i i would i would say that's you know for each element that you're looking at in the process really bottom it out and say okay i've i've explored everything i can see in this area and then i've come away from it with either the answer or the decision that i'm not going to go into this space
0: yeah Okay, so let's jump onto onto the second point, which is caring about the wrong things when you don't have your core business down. And there's nothing that pisses me off more than reading a post on Facebook about a newbie asking about how to optimize their site speed when they're making absolutely no money and they're nowhere close to it. I mean, no, there's things that piss me off more, like hunger and tireless, for example. But apart from that, in online marketing, that is probably one of the worst. The thing that people very often forget is they're building a business. And a business is not SEO. SEO is just part of it. To build a business, you need something to sell that makes a profit. You need a way to like to take people and to have a sales pitch to sell this item and then you need to wait in, to get in front of people so that they see your sales pitch. So if you are doing it with advertising, what you're selling is essentially ad impressions. So you're selling that. That is your product. Then your, your sales pitch is essentially your content. You're creating content and you're putting ads in between. And that, your content is just selling people to click on your website, display the page where you are selling the ad impressions. And the way to get in front of people, that can be social media, that can be SEO, etc. SEO is just a way of getting in front of people. If you're selling services, your service is your product, your sales pitch is your sales page, and maybe your email list is how you get people in front of that sales pitch. If you are an affiliate, like many people that are listening to this podcast are, your product is the product you're selling through this affiliate of whatever, whether it's Amazon or something, your sales pitch is your blog post slash article slash email you're sending. And the way you're getting in front of people, once again, is SEO, social media, et cetera, usually SEO. But still, the problem is many people never really bottom out, like understand what the offer is going to be and or just pick Amazon by default. And I think that's another point. Or they don't have a sales pitch, et cetera. So I think not just working on this part and getting to like income replacing Earnings, so like maybe like three, four, five thousand dollars a month, not just focusing on that at the beginning is a mistake, and a lot of people just try to diversify traffic, diversify products, diversify everything where with just one product, one sales pitch, I mean can, one angle of sales risk so maybe best x articles, and one traffic source that's what you should focus on before you focus on the other things, basically. do you want to add something on this point?
1: Yeah, I would say a kind of framework to think about this is something called net present value. And that's kind of looking at what you're doing and how that's going to affect things in the future, like financially, what's going to move your bottom line and kind of like bringing it back to the present. Like it's like the butterfly effect. Like if you do something now, like what's the long-term effect going to be over two, three, four, five, 10 years. And for most people, if you know if you're starting a site that has ten articles and no links, how will improving your site speed affect that your net present value? I mean, okay, you, you know, Captain Obvious. Of course, that's that's a obvious situation. You're not going to work on it. Then, but some people actually do because site speed is one of these things that you can measure it. You have a a clear list of things that you can work on to improve, and you can see immediately the result from that. You'll take your, improve your site speed, and you can measure that. Google has a nice tool for showing you green and orange and what to change, what not to change, all that kind of stuff. So it feels like you're making progress. It feels like you've, you've done something tangible. But at the end of the day, is it affecting your bottom line? most likely no in that situation it does get a little bit more complicated let's say your your site has 100 articles 500 links and is making ten thousand dollars a month in that situation should you build more content more links should you use some cro should you maybe improve your site speed should you start a site in another niche there are many many more options for you the the further up you go but i think the framework is the same what is the thing that you can do now in the present that's going to generate the maximum amount of value over the long term Uh, so if you're building 100 new more articles so doubling the size of the site is that going to make you maybe that doesn't make you more money initially because those are harder keywords and you need more links but that will set you up to be able to to build more links to them in the in the future so you can you can make potentially make a lot more money at that stage will the site speed affect it I, i don't know it's hard to say and again, this is not one of those things when you get, especially when you get to this stage where you can say, oh, you should definitely do this. You should definitely not do this. Then it becomes a bit more subjective and you have to, as a business owner, kind of make that assessment yourself.
0: But I think really at the beginning, like the, the example where you have like 10 articles and no links and the people working on site speed, I think is the worst case. So it's like,
1: yeah, I mean, that's absolutely clear. Do not work on site speed in that, in that situation.
0: I mean, we don't say site speed is bad and we don't say you shouldn't worry about it. Just say like, hey, it's not gonna make like if you're making no money, it's not gonna make you money at this point. And that's the thing, you're making no money because you haven't nailed these three things. You haven't nailed having a product, having a way to piece your product, and having a way to put people in front of your pitch. And that's why you're making no money. And if you're making little, it's just you're not very good at these things yet. And once you have these things down, yeah, these improvements will matter. And you know, side speed is one of the things that will improve your business by maybe like one or two percent. And if you're making a hundred bucks, like 1% is $1. If you're making a million bucks, 1% is 10 grand. You know, it's like, it's it's a lot more. So it counts a lot more when you start working on these things, when you're big. And the problem is, it's kind of like a, a lack of critical sense I see in the in this community. Very Sometimes it's like, you know, there's a lot of things that are good for you, but, but they're not all good to the same degree. And people struggle putting importance on these things and kind of like qualifying what is more important right now. And as a result, it's like you read all these content and follow all these people that tell you all these good things you can do. But it's kind of like in-house, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like drinking orange juice is great. But if you're like, like overweight, et cetera, like it's not going to solve your problems. You need to work on the you need to work on the basic and the core things that will make the most sense, which is you know, exercising and fixing your, your core diet first.
1: Yeah, I think that's also worth, worth pointing out. In most niches, in health and online marketing and, and all that, that in many niches, there's generally a few very simple, very core things that you need to do to make improvements. So in online marketing, that could be content and links for an authority site. In health, that could be eating reasonably well and
0: exercising, Moderately even, yeah.
1: Yeah, moderately. But it's very difficult for someone who's in that space to create content every single day. You know, if you're publishing five articles a day on your site, you're a big health site, you can't just say, oh, yeah, just eat reasonably healthy and and exercise a little bit the whole time and that'll improve. You really need to go into exquisite detail about how green juice is better for you than uh, orange juice and all these, like, obscure things that maybe in some cases don't make any difference some cases make like one percent difference that's just a way of creating more content and some people do appreciate that who are super into it but it can be a bit distracting and confusing for beginners because they get sort of sucked into this thing of thinking these don't know what the word is but these like obscure techniques or tactics or things to work on are Critical, like mission critical. And then just having that content there acts as sort of shiny object syndrome thing. And they get distracted by what's really going to move the needle. And that's what you need to ask yourself what is going to move the needle in whatever your objective is to lose weight, to make money, to do whatever. And you should just focus on the core things that achieve that.
0: Yeah. And that that's the case in every niche. It's the case in online marketing as well. That's why there's kind of like, a new fad of the months, once in like all the time on like in terms of link building or content creation for a while it was like deleting content from your site etc like there's always something that people talk about that's like oh my god and then you see these people with like 10 pages websites making no money just doing these things instead of doing what they should do to actually grow it's a little bit sad basically <laughs> do you want to pick the next point
1: Yeah, so this is, again, something we were, we still are a little bit guilty of, actually, and that's designing your site for you and not your audience. So, I mean, you actually have a story here about your mom, so I'm going to let you start with that.
0: Yeah, it's like, just is funny, like when I go home, you know, for Christmas or whatever, (laughs) it's like I try to explain to my mom what I do. She's still not exactly sure. I'm pretty sure she thinks I'm selling drugs at this point, but you know, when I explain, she's like, "Oh, like I'm like, oh, like we have these sites that recommend products, and uh, we're also selling courses and doing all of that." And pretty much every time I try to explain that to her, her answer is like, "Oh, that's not gonna work. I would never buy this stuff, etc." Despite the fact that, like, we've made millions of dollars doing that, my mom still doesn't believe that. Uh, like, she still wants to give me money when I'm living, in case I'm not eating properly because she just doesn't believe for a second that what we're doing could work and that's kind of hilarious and shows that it's not because something would not you would not be convinced by something or like it wouldn't work on you that it would will not work in general when i went to that conference as well in vienna there's like some, some guy we talked about push notifications and some guys like oh i never opt in push notifications where's the opt-in rate i'm like oh you know like Usually 2 to 5% is what you expect from push notifications opt-in, and he was really shocked that this many people opt-in for this stuff and that actually drives good traffic and, and it works very really well. So really, you're not your audience, and even if you don't believe in some things, if your competitors are doing it repeatedly, like not just once, but keep doing something, there's probably a good reason for it. And even if you don't believe in it, it, it will work. I mean, yeah, there's many things that we've done that I didn't believe in that ended up working really well. So
1: I think this is one of these things where like the law of of big numbers starts to apply. So you are one person and you've had a set of experiences throughout your life that will lead you to make, to answer each question or to make decisions in a certain way. Now, without getting into a debate about freedom of choice and all that kind of stuff, essentially you are kind of, everything you've done in your life is pre-programmed you to make your decisions, to make your next decision about whatever it is in a certain way. But everyone else on this earth has different, a completely different set of experiences to you. If you're building a website, very few people on this planet, I mean, there are probably a few million people who have done it, but compared to the billions of people that exist, there are very few. Most people in the world don't know what affiliate marketing is. Most people in the world don't know what link building is, don't know what SEO is. People are getting a little bit smarter in like, you know, ad blindness and ignoring banner ads and, and that kind of stuff. But still, people click on them. Uh, so it, just because you have an ad blocker and never click on ads and hate ads doesn't mean that a decent percentage of your audience may feel the same or may, may not. This is one of those situations where it can also be very niche dependent. So if you're in gaming or tech kind of niche, then most people will be running ad blockers and, and all that kind of stuff. But if you're in gardening or sewing or, or something like that, mm. Most people will still likely be using Internet Explorer or something in some of those niches. So you kind of have to think of it not from what would you do, but who is your typical audience and how do they behave? And if you're not in that same demographic, then it's maybe worth networking a bit and trying to understand really what motivates people, really how they behave. Look at how people in that kind of demographic actually use your site Someone was telling me, I think it was Paul from Thrive Themes actually, back when uh, they first built Thrive Content Builder. He was telling me that he had his mom use TCB in the early days and he was horrified at what he saw. And that kind of like led him to change a bunch of UI stuff and, and, and whatnot. And I, I think this thing is true about the rest of your, like, uh, of uh, an authority site as well. Show it to your mom, show it to someone who's really young, show it to someone who's really old. Yeah, show it to Paul's mom <laughs> and see what kind of feedback you get from that. It, it can kind of be a little bit, little bit eye-opening, to say the least, because people will will use sites differently. And there are tools you can actually use to test this, by the way. You can have a bunch of people like run through your site and it will generate videos and heat maps and all this kind of stuff. But, I mean, that's getting a bit bit advanced for what we're talking about here. To get back to like the, the main point, which is that you should... Be designing a, you're designing your site for you and not your audience. You a, a good quote that I think I started, although it's definitely other people have said similar things. But done is better than perfect, is what Gail I'm and I sure you
0: started. The, <laughs> I'm
1: pretty sure I did. Pretty sure it's not. <laughs> pretty sure that's not you. <laughs> done is better than perfect. Mark Webster, 2019. Right in stone, it's like
0: Socrates or something, you know, something like this.
1: Yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure he said it in a much more eloquent way than than I did as well. But the point is very true, and this is often often the case when when you're starting websites is that we think, oh no, you know, this pixels too there sh- too far over here, or this color is just a little bit off, or we need to you know five more pixel line of spacing up here, and spending ages really getting into the the detail of your design. When you know that this is just your first website and most likely, in fact, definitely, definitely, you know nothing, Jon Snow, and you're going to rebuild it in a few years time. Anyway, even us, you know, we built a brand new authority hacker website towards the end of last year. Gail built it. I think it looks great. But for sure, in like two or three years, we're going to rebrand the whole thing just because technology will have moved on then and we will have gotten better ourselves at understanding what works, what doesn't work, what looks good, what doesn't look good. And we will want to, yeah, we want to move on and we want to improve the design. So, you know, you're going to have to do that. So don't spend forever and a day trying to make this your, you're not unveiling your masterpiece to the world here, especially if it's your first site. Most people won't even know you or you won't even get that many visitors. It just needs to be good enough. It doesn't need to be perfect. So Get it out there and don't fret over perfection, basically.
0: Yeah, getting keeping on the way of simplicity. Using too many plugins slash overcomplicating tech is something that we have messed up a lot. I am I'm keeping the, the R rating for now. I mean recently we actually worked on page speed, believe it or not, but that's after a long time on a toy hacker We went from eight seconds to two seconds page load ish I mean obviously not on very page but on average. Just by simplifying our tech and the way pages load, etc. And the more time passes, the more I realize we use less and less tools, which sucks as affiliates. That's it. We lost our our rating, but is great for running your site. Like the more things you add, the more conflicts you get between plugins, etc. And tech issues, etc. And while we've decreased the amount a lot, we still get some just because we use all this membership stuff, et cetera, on Atari Hacker and just adds a decent layer of complexity. But on our other sites, like I'm checking now, uh, the, the demo site for the Atari site system uses like 10 plugins in total. And it just means that it's super easy to maintain. It loads fast, even though it's like on a not a very expensive hosting plan. And it keeps things easy. So I'm just going to remind people of like what we use right now. It doesn't mean it's going to be forever. We change our recommendations all the time. But we try to keep things very simple and not add too many plugins. For example, one thing that we've eliminated was like social sharing plugins. Now that we use Elementor as the team builder, you know, they have like social buttons. And honestly, it's good enough. I mean, social buttons is one of the things that seems less important these days. Like if people want to share stuff, they can share it anyway. Like and if people are gonna share on Facebook, they're just gonna copy the URL and paste it on Facebook and or use their phone browser native function of sharing. They don't necessarily need an extra share buttons. So just having a small one at the bottom of the page has made the site simpler, has reduced conflicts, and has just reduced the number of plugins we're using. So just to remind people what we're using, for data, for SEO data, we're just using Ahrefs at this point. Hosting WPX, hosting all site ground are the two ones we're using now. We're using Kinstown Atari Hacker as well, but I'm actually going to put the new sites on WPX. Seems like it's quite good these days. Elementor, we use it for Theme Builder together with Astra. And productivity, we just use AsanaS, like G Suite. We made a podcast about this. And link building on top of Ahrefs, we use Mailshake. That's basically the main tools we use. Really, not much else. Yep, keep it simple. And really, even social sharing plugins, etc. We've kicked it all out, just so that our sites run faster and better. And really, our rankings have never been as good as they are now since we have simplified the whole tech stack. So, uh, and also, just in general, when you the, the time you spend fighting with tech you don't spend creating content you don't spend optimizing your ranking you don't spend building links you don't spend actually growing so tech should kind of get out of the way as much as possible so that you can focus on on what's good same thing it's kind of like you can get one percent improvements doing a few tech changes here and there and kind of like adding something very complex but you can get like 50% growth by increasing the amount of content you have on your site and or having more links and or just promoting your stuff. It's just choosing the better solution, even though everything's going to kind of move you forward. It doesn't mean if you move forward, it doesn't mean you made the right solution. That's kind of what I want to say. It's all,
1: also kind of for people who are thinking about site speed and stuff, having hundreds of plugins on your site can, can have uh, some serious issues like slowing down conflicts are a very common thing that that happens when you get different plugins support blaming each other's plugins and you go around in circles with with that i'm sure a lot of people listening have have been there so we've just found by minimizing these things as much as possible it it, it reduces all those those issues massively uh, it's been quite a while since we've we've had anything serious crop up like that it used to happen all the time
0: so i used to be the guy that buys the plugins and mark would get notifications from paypal me by of me buying all this stuff and uh, I've definitely gotten a lot better over the years now. We're really not buying very many tools anymore, actually.
1: Yeah, and then forget to cancel the recurring payment, the rec- recurring yeah. yearly
0: payment. <laughs> <laughs> every, every six months, Muggs like, do you use this, do you use this, do you use this? Honestly, the list used to be like 30, 40 things, and now it's like two, three things when you do it, actually. So I, I'm very proud of myself. I feel like I got rid of an addiction, you know?
1: Yeah. The, the other thing I would say with this is around like custom coding and, and, and that. And, Gail, you're going to have to step in because I don't really understand how this works. But uh, as far as I understand with themes, if you, like, customize the, the core theme, it means you can't update it, and um, which can which can affect things like security, uh, vulnerability patching, and, and things like that. You, you, when you're customizing or doing custom coding on your, your WordPress theme, you should build that as a child theme. Can you just explain a little, little sec how that works?
0: But basically, you just create a theme on top of your theme that just it's just the extra changes you're making, but they're not your theme files. So that you know, when you use the auto updated in WordPress, you know, these files just get overwritten when there's a new version, right? Yeah, but because they're in different files, when you use the updater, these changes actually stay, and so you can just keep getting the new features that get added. And just overall, it's just safer in case there has been any kind of vulnerability that was found in older versions, etc. So yeah, it's better. Cool. So the next point is investing in too little in content and too much in links. So uh, that's one thing I see a lot with newbies. Like people read about SEO. They, they just read a lot when they're getting started. And the one big takeaway is like links are fucking important. And here goes the R rating again. And as a result, what people do is they end up just putting a shitty site together, putting really five percent of their energy into their site, and they just try to build links to a shitty site. And as a result, you know, for me that that directly falls into the inner in, a, in a, the joke we have in our company about a focus blog affiliate sites. It's like at some point we're doing this, but like people still start those. A focus blog is a theme by Thrive Teams that we used to promote and use on authority Hacker and a lot of people have copied that. And so a lot of people there's a lot of Affiliate sites running on this team now, which is really getting old at this point and you shouldn't do. I saw so many of them when I did the Automatic Site System market research. And the thing is, for the sites that we've sold, it's like one of the major points that we've worked on at first was creating high quality content, creating something, creating a great site, basically. Both that looks good, that is branded properly, that has original data on the products we were talking about, etc. And doing this led us to actually get links that these kind of shitty sites were not able to get, both through outreach, through natural linking, et cetera. We, like, even because some of our content was so good, people would literally ask us to guest post on their site when they saw examples of our content. And also, when these skyscraper-type articles ended up ranking, they were actually collecting links themselves that, without us doing any work, When they rank it, they rank for like big head terms, which happens with skyscraper type pieces when you're doing well with them. One thing I want to remind people is that when you build an authority site or an affiliate site, etc., your your content is basically your product. It's it's what you add as value because you don't own the offer. So what you're adding a value in terms of the whole funnel is creating content that converts people. And if your content slash product is shit, it's really hard to promote. And what happens is. You you jump onto link building and then because your site is shit, your cost per link increases. And so by putting more effort into content and less in links, at least in the beginning, you actually give yourself an edge in link building in the end. It's just a longer process and many people don't have the patience. But if you are building links with outreach, it's a massive, massive competitive advantage to have high quality content on the well-built slash branded site.
1: First of all, just to add to what you said there, I would say that when looking at other authority sites, the number one tell of whether a site's going to be successful or not is how good their content is. That's not to say that it's that factor alone. There's definitely some correlations in there. Good people who have good processes will undoubtedly make better content. First of all, I'm wholeheartedly in the camp of you should make the best content possible. I think it's super important for for everything you do. I will say as a sort of counterpoint though, that I see a lot of people who create good content and they put a lot of effort into that and then just don't really come at the link, uh, link building with the same ferocity or with the same kind of attitude. I think it tends to be newbies as well. I think there's a few reasons for that. One is that the content creation process, the, element of control that you can exert over that the every step of that process is absolute so you if you're writing it yourself then you can control everything or if you're managing a writer to do it for you or an agency you can kind of give them feedback and you you, you have complete control over what gets done at every stage of that process you on the site all that kind of thing versus with link building where you can control the inputs i.e the content the outreach the messaging how often you're doing it, who you're sending it to. But at the end of the day, you're asking someone to do something and a good percentage of people will say no or ignore you. So that lack of control over the end part of that process, I think, turns many people off. It feels, based on a lot of people I've talked to, that they would much rather just produce more content than really go hard into link building, which is very important at the Especially in the early days, to to get your site off the ground, and one thing we teach in the Authority Site System is to get yourself to a point where you're making job replacing income, and you can't do that if you're not going hard at link building. And I think that people kind of, I, I see people give up in a way where they they do really good content, then they kind of do a little tiny bit of link building, but not nearly enough, and. They don't really spend the time improving it and they don't get anywhere with it. They get a handful of links and they say, oh, maybe I'll produce more content. Maybe that'll help my site grow. But it won't at that stage. You've produced 50 pieces of content. You just need the links to, to grow it
0: now. Yeah, especially the first links to a site. Yeah, the first links to a site are really, really important. Like, way more than, like, you know, adding 10 links to a brand new site has a massive effect. Adding 10 links to a site that has thousands of links does pretty much nothing. So, especially at the beginning, then it's quite important. But still, it kind of like it's just an thing. It's kind of like the thing with the niche research, like either too much or too little, it kind of works the same way here. The next point is to only ever rely on the Amazon Associates program, and this one is for Michael Gillespie, one of the most opinionated H Pro member ever who relies massively on Amazon. And Amazon is a great place. Amazon Associates is a great place to start affiliate marketing. It's a great way to replace your income. You, know, you can make several thousands of dollars per month quite easily. There's a lot of like easy-ish niches that you can get into. And that's the program we recommend you start with in your third site system. So why am I I'm saying this? Because Amazon can be quite unforgiving in the sense that if they find anything wrong with your website, they are just ban you. And also... The payout is just not great. It doesn't pay that much money. It's easy to get to 2, 3, 4K per month. But getting to like 100 plus K is is a much bigger challenge with Amazon and can only be done in a certain amount of niches because the payout is so low. Like the cookie only lasts 24 hours and the payout is just a few percentage. So really, I think that Amazon is a great place to start, but there should be a fork at some point in your work where you're like, okay well I'm you know I'm making a full- time income from this now. Let's look for other offers and usually like a lot of people have good success with networks like CJ or ShareSell, or just just googling around for affiliate programs And then you should literally type affiliate program and type like your main niche and you'll find either articles that round up a bunch of offers. we do a bunch of these articles on Atari hacker or you will find just direct programs that you can apply to that will most likely have at least a 30 day cookie and will pay you more money than um, than Amazon ever will actually another thing that I know magicy does is he directly just contacts brands in the niche and just says hey I'm making a decent volume of sales I have all this traffic I have this website etc I would like to sell your stuff can you just make me an offer sometimes it's even just based on Google Analytics goal tracking or e-commerce tracking. And they just have that kind of agreement and reaching out to people. So all I'm saying is Amazon is great to start, but I see way too many people that rely 100% on Amazon when they're making like high five figures per month, et cetera. And I think that's super risky. And they're just leaving a lot of money on the table. And uh, yeah, just don't do that. Like most, we basically, now we basically have no Amazon Associate sites apart from some case study sites and uh, someone has a mission, actually. So, yeah.
1: Do you want to say anything on that? No, just just to sort of say again that it's a really good place to start because it's so easy and they have so many products. They're so trusted and they convert very well. It's just very easy to slot in. If you have no traffic, uh, you're just building your site for the first time, you can't really do all that advanced stuff like, you know, reaching out to people in the industry and, and that kind of thing. So this is more of a, uh, I guess, like not advanced stage, but like medium to advanced level point when you start moving away from them. But it doesn't hurt to kind of have that in mind when you're doing your niche research. Like, what's this going to look like further down the line? Am I going to, are there other offers? Are there other, uh, you know, people promoting different products through different networks, that kind of thing? Have this sort of further vision in mind when you're creating your site.
0: Yeah. So the next point is something that we've messed up until very recently that we realized that we really should be doing this. and It's not keeping your content up to date. So it's a huge, huge thing for us at this point. And that's something that needs to be said. Content has an expiration date, especially as, as the more precise it gets. So the more precise the content is, the faster it ages. So you kind of have a dilemma when you create content. Either you create fluff content that kind of lasts forever because it never gets specific in the first place. So, or you can create actionable content that quickly gets outdated. It's kind of funny because as I'm doing that, like I was, when you were talking, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm guilty. I was checking the plugin updates on Hacker, And, uh, you know, I talked about this last update plugin, our last blog post, and it just did a bunch of changes. So I already need to go and update it. And that blog post is like two weeks old. Why? Because it was super specific.
1: That's a good example because (laughs) the more edgy or the more kind of like fresh a piece of content is, the more likely it is to get outdated very, very quickly. If you're, especially if you're in some kind of tech space, you know, you're talking about the latest iPhone or the, you know, USB three standards. That's of course, that's not going to be the same thing in, in 10 years, that's going to change very quickly, but the more edgy it is. So if it's something that's just some brand new tactic that just came out last week, it's not going to last forever. There's going to be something new, something that changes in most likely in a few weeks in a few, or if not a few months. So yeah, it's hugely uh, hugely important to think about when you're creating this content, how long is this actually going to last for and have a system in place where you you actually do go back and refresh it and update it when when required because it's very easy not to do that.
0: And really updating your content is not just a nice thing to do. It really is something that costs you money, right? When, when your content is outdated, your conversion rate drops. If you're selling an FA offer and your screenshot's are outdated, your conversion rate drops. When your content gets outdated, your rankings drop. I mean, that's the point of the last blog post on like uh, putting your update date instead of your published date on the content. It creates massive boosts in rankings. And that means that the reverse effect is also true. When your content gets outdated and or old, your rankings drop and you lose traffic. And really what happens when, because of that is that as your site matures, if you have this kind of like new content creation machine in place or you are putting, let's say, 20 articles a month or something, really eventually, as enough content is getting old, the new content is just replacing the revenue and traffic of the old content. And you, you're reaching that plateau, basically, where you're like your output just makes up for what you're losing and you can't really progress anymore. And it's kind of a treadmill to just maintain what you have. So really, at that point, it's important to put together that kind of dating process because otherwise you are going to need to either put more resources in creating content to make up for the drop content, but the amount of resources you need to put is increasing as the volume of content you're maintaining is increasing as well, or you need to put a content updating process in place. And it kind of like outlined like the way I'm doing it right now, which is essentially you grab your content, you put it in Google Docs. Ideally, you kept the Google Docs when you created it. Uh, We didn't in many cases, so I have to copy paste it. And then you go into suggestion mode. And what you can do is you can highlight the posts that are old and you can press the delete key and then what it does, it doesn't really delete them. It just strikes through them. And it just kind of like highlights everything that's irrelevant anymore. And based on that, like you kind of have like a bunch of stuff stripes through. Then I go back to Dynalist, and I put essentially the sections of what's left in there. And then based on that, I start a new site structure, add missing part, uh, a new article structure, sorry, add the missing parts, et cetera. And then re-add the missing parts as titles in Google Docs and just essentially write these parts. And once you are done, you can approve the changes in the suggestions and just remove the parts that you wanted to delete. And then you can just upload that new article to WordPress, basically. But it's kind of like the way I'm doing it for content now, it allows you to recycle what's still recyclable while getting rid of what's outdated in a clean way. And Google Drive is probably the best place to do that, much better than WordPress. So that's basically it. anything on I, content?
1: yeah. So like I haven't I haven't ran through this process myself, but I'm kind of like it's a few ideas are starting to come to my head right now, and I think there's something in here. I need to bottom this out, but like in a kind of two pronged approach, where having a content inventory for a start. So when you're creating content, having a simple spreadsheet where you have like the URL, main keywords, G Doc link, things like word count, who wrote it, date published all of that core information in one place. I'm not sure Asana is the best place to, to display that after it's been produced. And you can actually connect Asana to Google Sheets. There's a few ways I'm thinking we can do that, especially with the, using the Asana custom fields and stuff. But that's for future episodes. Coming into it from a content updating perspective, coming into it from the point of view where you want to when you're producing your content, you want to kind of like set yourself an expected timeline of when you think that content will expire. So is this something which I need to come back to in one month, in six months, in 12 months, in four years, something like that. And, you know, creating deadlines or you know, other tasks in a standard to come back and relook at it at that point in time. So there'll be like a delay from when you create the content to when you are forcing yourself to come and relook at it. So that's one aspect of it. And the other aspect would be having a regular review of all your content and seeing maybe uh, every month, every quarter depends on your niche. I think in for like authority hackers, stuff's more time sensitive. So I'd be inclined to do it more frequently. If I was in the, knitting niche uh i I'd, I'd say that's maybe like once a once a year if if that you, you'd need to, to update things and so having that secondary process where you go and review all your content and see even if it's before the the deadline which you've set yourself and you create it to update it having that process to review it and say does this now need to be updated and kind of reviewing it that way it's just strange because most marketers they will regularly run keyword research and say okay what new content do i need to create maybe every month they'll have a session planning that but for for whatever reason they don't take the time to review their existing content at nearly the same frequency when in many cases they have a keyword or an article that, that works and it's just getting out outdated and stopping working and up, by going through and updating it and making it more relevant for today they could recapture that benefit they had from having an update article. So it's kind of, it's a bit of a psychological thing at the same time.
0: Do you want to pick the last point?
1: So number eight is around dynamic content or lack of dynamic content. Rather good example is, uh, using the year in your post title. So having best multivitamin for 2018 as an example, that's fantastic to add that year onto your title in 2018, It's good for Google. It's good for people. People feel that's more relevant. It's going to be an up-to-date article. This is especially true for something like a tech niche, again, which updates very, very frequently. You don't care about the best smartphone for 2018. You care about the best one for 2019 because they're all going to be a year old if they're like that. But what a lot of people do is they'll, they'll create an article. I don't know. I'm just looking at my desk now for an idea like best microphone. For, and then they'll, that will be the keyword and then they will just add on to the title for 2018 to make it feel more relevant. But the problem is if you hard code that into your title and even worse, if you're hard coding that into your featured images, as we did in some health emission featured images a while back, then on the 1st of January in the following year, all of that's going to be outdated. If you have an image, then you, that is terrible. You need to redo the image. Uh, if you have it just in text in your titles, it's it's a little bit easier. But at the end of the day, it's you still have to go back and uh, update them all. There are some tools, plugins as well, which I would hesitate using, but plugins that can help you fix this. Gil actually ran this, I think, on one of our sites. I forget which one. Uh, it's like a find and replace plugin and replaced all of 2000, before, yeah. 2016 with 2017, thinking that it would just change all of these. And it did. It worked. But it also meant that anytime you had an article where you say, oh, yeah, you know, this happened in 2016, so-and-so said this, in the article, it would change that as well. Now, it may be possible to limit that to titles and stuff now, but yeah, it's it's not a very clean way to do that. So what is a clean way to do that? Well, that's to use dynamic content. And there are a bunch of different ways to to do that. We have created a short code on Authority Hacker where we put, I think it's like square bracket current year. And then that will just input the current year so on the 1st of january 2019 it will automatically update that i think it's according to server time i have no idea how or where we actually did that our developer did it maybe you can shed it's some just light a, on that. it's just
0: a piece of code and you put it in function.php on wordpress and then that's it it just adds a shortcut
1: okay uh, maybe we can copy paste that put it in the show notes if anyone oh my uh, god is...
0: people are gonna everyone's gonna use it now well now you say we have to do it but uh <laughs> sure
1: so, I mean, that's one example of using uh, dynamic content that's like content which is dynamically updated. It's not fixed. It's not set in stone. But I, I know there's other ways as well using Active Custom Fields plugin. Do you want to talk a, bit, a little, little bit about that, Gil?
0: Yeah, I mean, you see it on the reviews on Autoha Hacker, for example. That's one example you can see live. If you go like Ahrefs review or something like this, Google it and click on it so you can get some rank boosting. <laughs> but yeah, it's like we, I really like it in the sense that it helps preventing content from getting outdated. It makes updating changes to products you're recommending or s- specifications or anything like that much easier. Basically, what you do is active custom fields, advanced custom fields, I would say active, it's advanced custom fields, guys, just allows you to add attributes to specific posts. So we actually add these attributes on single reviews, for example. So like, say, a trust review. And I'll put the price. So, you know, before HRS was cheaper, I think. I think it was 79 a month, and now it's 99 or something. Anyway, like, our, when we wrote the review, it was 79 And then we mentioned the price in, in many places, both in a single review and on other pages. Well, now what we do is we have a field for price under the HRS review. And this field has a shortcode. So wherever we mention it, we just... We mentioned the price of hfs We don't write it's seventy nine dollars or ninety nine dollars. We would say the cost of hfs is, and then we just put the shortcode of the custom field there. and then what it does is it pulls the value from the single review, meaning that if we change the value in that field, everywhere we mention the price of hfs is going to upload on the site, it's going to update on the site. Now you might seem this is trivial, but let's say hfs doesn't do it, but let's say hfs does a Black Friday offer and is selling for $49 per month. And I want to highlight that on my entire site. Well, I could replace that field from just $1.49 to $1.49 brackets, Black Friday special, and then make it a link. And I can do that on the whole site, and that will massively increase conversions and click-through rates, and that will make me a lot of money as an affiliate on that Black Friday special. So using this dynamic content first allows you to keep a lot of content more up to date in an easier way but also allows you to increase your conversions massively because you're able to keep up with the sales of the products that you are promoting and you're able to highlight them across your entire site with minimal effort. Uh, we use ACF advanced custom fields in combination in combination with Elementor because Elementor allows you to essentially pull these shortcodes anywhere you want anywhere uh everywhere you want, which is quite powerful. It allows you to build theme templates that do that. So for example, you check the header on the single reviews on Atari Hacker, you see that all this data is actually pulled via Elementor, via these custom fields. And so, yeah, I think dynamic websites is the future for site builders. And the sooner you get on board, the more you master it the earlier, the better you will do, the more of an advantage you will take over the competition because most people just don't think about it and just have like cheap VAs just updating content, et cetera, messing up, taking forever to do this stuff, et cetera, when there is just much smarter ways of building your websites. And now you don't need to code for it anymore. So it's really, really important that I think people start building dynamic websites in 2019.
1: I would say just to add to that, that's just really just scratching the surface of it. You can really go advanced with this, but the the thing to just be a little bit cautious of is the more deep you go into this, the more kind of structured and th- you need to think through the implications of everything you're doing. So, for example, if the price changes, you you change it from a hundred dollars to eighty dollars or whatever. Where you're talking about the price in the article, you need to be careful how you phrase that. You may say, oh, you know, it's priced at $100, which is, means it's more expensive than its competitors by X. Yeah. If just the price is the custom field, then what's going to happen is that in the context of that sentence or that phrase, it's not going to make sense because it's going to be updated to reflect the the new true amount when the rest of the conversation where you're talking about the price and how it relates to competitors is not going to be updated, so you just need to be very careful about exactly how you're 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 doing that, and that's going to take time. I think for us, for other people as well, to to figure out how to do that at scale with large teams of writers on, on on large sites.
0: Yeah, I'm actually excited. That's going to be the biggest kind of like experiment with the new batch of sites. We did it with a site we just sold. There was a degree of dynamic content, but we're going to push it way more on the new sites. And that needed kind of a tech result, so that's why we couldn't really push it as much before. But like I'm quite excited on the new sites to do a lot of that. Uh, I've experimented with it on the new authority hacker as well. It's working quite well. So yeah, it's gonna be quite quite good actually. I'm quite excited for this. So that's basically it for the eight main mistakes we see people make. Starting I feel it's size slash authority size kind of applies for both here. But that's basically it. So the main lessons is keep things simple, but build a real business. Master one traffic source, master one monetization method, and then diversify and all repeat or scale. Really like once you have achieved that kind of like job replacement income, then you can go two directions. And I had this discussion with Robert, which is where like one of our the most successful Auto SI system students. I was like, well, for to grow, you kind of have two ways to go. You can either build more stability via diversification. So explore new traffic sources, explore new affiliate programs, explore new ways to monetize your content, build an email list, do these things. Or you can mm-hmm. achieve faster growth by focusing and doing more of what's been working. But that means you're kind of standing on one leg. So if you like, you know, if you lose your balance, you could lose everything. But it's higher risk, higher reward. You will grow faster if you do what you already know what to do. But you'll be more stable if you get make money in different ways so it's kind of a way that it's kind of what people need to pick from that you also need to think about the future not just today having a site like house Mission that's like six years old plus really gives us perspective on like how these sites age and not many people have experienced in that at this point, I would say. So you need to really think about your updating content process because really it's it starts small. It doesn't feel like it's very important. But as time passes, it gets more and more outdated and it, it's going to cost you more and more. And it kind of snowballs to a point where it just becomes a huge amount of work if you've been ignoring it too long. Making it easy to update is also very important. We didn't really talk about this, but I think, for example, that's why I kind of like doing list posts more and more these days because list posts are really easy to edit and update. You can just take one list item and really just push it, you know, and just update it. And also via dynamic content. So guys, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. We are now on Spotify. So if you use Spotify, you can subscribe there and get all the content there. So I know a lot of like non-Apple users don't have a iTunes, etc. Spotify is probably a good place to go and subscribe to us. Don't hesitate to review us as well. It kind of helps us get some visibility and uh, have a great week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and
1: send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free
0: premium Authority Hacker training.